We're going to be talking about pain uh, this morning. And uh, as you know, we're in, a, we're in a series that we started last week called For Each Day. And last week, we, we laid a foundation for this series. And uh, I, made a, I made a point that I hope that you have thought about throughout this past week over and over and over again. First of all, you are a beloved son of God. You are a beloved daughter of God. Anybody think about that this past week? Good. You're a beloved son of God. You're a, yes, good. You're a beloved daughter of God. And we need to receive that. We need to receive his love and we need to rest in it. Rest in his love. But I also told you last week that, that God's pleased with you. God's pleased with you. He's proud of you. And here's the thing. It's, it's not because of anything that you've done. But it's all because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. He's pleased with you. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 tells us that we are complete in Christ. In other words, nothing else needs to be added. In other words, we don't need to look outside of ourselves for, for our standing with God, for self-worth or significance or security or, or assurance. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. We started off this series talking about stress. And we said that there's, there's good stress and there's bad stress. Good stress drives you to perform well. It drives you to, to meet a deadline. It drives you to study hard for a test, to push through tough things. But then there's bad stress. And bad stress, we de- defined it this way last week. We said it's a state of mental or emotional strain or tension resulting from adverse or very demanding circumstances. And I used this phrase last week over and over. Stress comes when expectations exceed results. Expectations exceeding results. And we know, we all know that bad stress can cause all kinds of bad issues in our lives. Stomach issues, ulcers. I mean, it can cause illnesses. It can lead to depression and anxiety and, you know, all kinds of of heart issues and things like that. Now, I'm going to say something right now that um, may seem like I'm contradicting what I said about stress just even right now, okay? Stress isn't the problem in your life. Too much unrelieved stress is the culprit. Stress isn't the problem, okay? Because we bounce back a lot of times from stress. Too much unrelieved stress is, is really the culprit. Years ago, I read a great book uh, called Margin, Restoring Emotional, Physical, Financial, and Time Reserves by a guy named Richard Swenson. And he used this illustration about a branch. And that's why I actually have the stick here today. I'm not going to hit anybody. Um, but he talked about unrelieved stress. All right? And, and I want to talk about, just I want you to imagine for just a moment that, th- that this branch is your life. All right? And from your earliest memories, I mean, you, you remember going through it, even as a kid, going through tough moments, you know? And when we go, as a kid, we go through tough moments, and we, we get stressed out, but, man, kids are resilient, right? And today, I mean, kids are, they're going through, I think, even more demanding things, and so there's just the stress in their lives, and then they get into middle school, and middle school is really tough. Middle school are tough, tough years. I mean, you're trying to figure yourself out. You're in this in-between stage of your life. I mean, uh, 50% of kids today will, will go through a situation where their parents get divorced, and that is a crazy amount of stress. I mean, there's the whole pressure that I didn't have to grow up with, and our kids are now today, of, of dealing with social media, which is unrelieved stress. And then all of a sudden they go through high school, and, and senior year seems to be a cool year. But then they go through college, you know, or they go into the workforce, and there's stress there. Uh, there's struggles with sin. I mean, one of the big stressors in society today is the issue of porn. Uh, latest statistics, 50% of men are addicted to porn. 20% of women are addicted to porn. I mean, think about that. Which is going to lead to relational issues. And so we face these relational issues, relational breakups, the feelings of, of you know, we get, of being betrayed by maybe a good friend or uh, even a relative. You come out of college with student debt. I mean, most uh, statistically now, the average student debt that, that a college student will come out uh, is $37,000. You talk about unrelieved stress. And then most people are going to struggle sometimes with just a, a season or two of, of depression. May lose a job along the way, getting, you know, all of a sudden fired out of nowhere, laid off without warning. Get married, have children, the challenges with with a child, which, you know, financial stress. 
And then there's conflicts in society, you know, the whole uh, threats of terrorism. And we, we think about that, the stuff I, I didn't remember growing up with that, but I mean, it's like stuff our kids think about all the time. And then just the whole issue of I mean, politics every two years, four years. And we get to the place where things begin to break in our lives. But the stress just keeps going on. And we have maybe a death of a parent and expectations placed on us by others. And then all of a sudden we deal with emotions like loneliness and unhappiness and depression and sleep issues and the stress of balancing life and middle, midlife crisis. And you know what I'm talking about? People my age get in their 50s and midlife crisis and marriage issues and the challenges of getting older. And then all of a sudden our parents get older and we've got to take care of them and my goodness, unrelieved stress, and it's at the root of so many things like depression and anxiety and heartache and trials and physical illnesses and emotional breakdowns, and it can leave your life bent and even broken, and even broken. And by the way, if you're wondering, you know, do pastors ever deal with stress? What, I mean, what about pastors? What about your job? Well, a recent study of over 1,100 pastors at a conference called the Francis Chafer Institute of Church Leadership Development, discovered that 71% of pastors stated that they were burned out, battled with depression beyond fatigue on a weekly basis or even a daily basis. Only 23% of pastors said that they felt happy and content on a regular basis with who they are in Christ, who they are in their church, and who they are at home. Hmm. See, there's this common fallacy in the church world that, that Christians should be immune to pain and suffering and depression and worry and anxiety and heartache. And for years, the, there, there was a perception, I believe, created by pastors and church leaders in older generations that, that they had to have it together all the time. They, they, they had to portray a great marriage, that they were raising perfect kids, that they never struggled with anything, they never went through pain, and if they did, they just did it all with a joy and smile, you know, their heart's breaking, their, their things are going off the rails at home, their kids are struggling, and yet every week they come out with a big old smile on their face, life is good. And that's what you did back then. And therefore, you know, that just went from the pulpit down into the pew, and therefore the average Christian should also have it together all of the time. And if they didn't, then they weren't reading their Bible enough or they weren't praying enough or they weren't in church enough or they weren't giving enough. And, and then any form of mental illness was seen as a result of sin or a lack of faith. And all that did over the years was create this, just this cycle of guilt and shame, guilt and shame. And then unfortunately it caused so many people, so many Christians in the church to be dishonest, to walk in all dressed real nice, but just devastated and destroyed inside, but putting a smile on their face. And either they were sinking deeper and deeper and very quietly and too often very secretly into their own pain, but they didn't feel like they could do anything about it because Christians are supposed to have it all together. And I will be the first to say to you that the, the, the church, the big C church, we have done a poor job in the past. Churches all together. We've done a poor job in the past of dealing with issues like mental illness and depression and addiction, even suicide, even, even the handling of families with, with children with special needs. And yet, what's so interesting is that the pages of the Bible are extremely honest about issues like pain and depression and despair and grief and suffering. I mean, just think for a moment of the men and women in the Bible that are found in the pages of the Bible. I mean, Elijah, who is one of God's prophets in the Old Testament, he struggled with depression. Think about Jeremiah. He's called the weeping prophet. Why? Because he, he just had this deep sadness in his life all the time. Israel's first king, Saul, was mentally ill, struggling. He, he committed suicide. The Psalms are full of David's outpourings of deep feelings of anger and calls for revenge and sadness and despair and grief and disappointment and depression. He lost children. Think of the women in the Bible who, who struggled with infertility or, or all of, of the couples in the Bible who, who lost children. This book that shapes our values and the, the way we do our lives, it is brutally honest about pain and about trials and about emotional issues and the things that, that we would put in the category of mental illness. It presents so many of those things as a very real part of life 
and a very real part of the Christian journey. And it's full of promises that deal very specifically with those issues. And it reveals the heart of God for his children when we are dealing with those things. I like how author Sam Chan talks about this. He says laments, laments, things like grief and sorrows and pain and depression and discouragement and despair and on and on and on. He says they are not sub-Christian. They are part of a vibrant, authentic walk with God. Indeed, the prophet Isaiah asserted, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. But he says the verse doesn't stop there. In a life of faith, sometimes we soar. But more often, he says, they will run and not grow weary. And occasionally, the power of the Holy Spirit enables faithful followers to face heartaches so that they will walk and not be faint. Listen to this psalm by the writer Asaph, who, who was a choir leader during the time of David. He was kind of like our Jason Chandler. Life had done a number on Asaph. He, he was experiencing pain inflicted on him by arrogant, prideful people. And listen as he talks about his pain. He says, Then I realized that my heart was bitter, and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and, and ignorant, I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. And then he says this about God's presence in his life. He says, yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glory, glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My heart may fail. My spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. That is, that's our assurance this morning. When we, are, when we are at our worst, God doesn't abandon us. And if we're open to it, God will use our deepest pain and our brokenness to, the, to strengthen us, to deepen us, to grow us, and to draw us closer to his heart. And if we'll allow him to, God can take something like this. What may seem to be so broken and unusable, he, he can take something like this and use it in ways that we could never imagine. God can not only do that, but God, he wants to do it. it, it, it there's a purpose. I want you to know there's a purpose behind all of this. But here's what we have to do. We have to change our perspective on how we look at it. We have to allow ourselves to be honest about emotional issues like depression and anxiety and things that, that we struggle with. We, we have to stop connecting things like mental illness with sin or guilt and shame. We have to be willing to open up with people around us that, that, that will genuinely walk with us without judging us. Walk with us through our pain and suffering. We have to, we have to create a community where, it's, where, where there's a safe place for Christ followers and, and the people from outside of this building to, to walk in and go, I can be honest here. I can be honest about and, and real about my hurts and, and about addictions and about the challenges that, that our children are dealing with because, oh my goodness, I don't want anybody to think I'm a terrible parent because my kid's struggling right now, so we're going to hide all this. No. Here's what we, we have a father who gets us because he created us. He sees us and he knows us. He hears our cries and he sees what original sin has done to his creation and it grieves his heart. And that's one of the reasons he sent Jesus to earth, not only to experience all that we experience, but to show us how to do it. How to deal with pain, how to handle trials, how to, how to handle grief, how to walk through rejection and loneliness. And yet you realize God didn't hide any of that in his word. He showed it, he showed it to us. He showed us very clearly what Jesus went through and how he did it. He sent He sent Jesus to be with us at all times through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit to walk with us through our pain, to help us to become overcomers and more than conquerors, knowing that our hope lies in a future where all of this mess, all of this turmoil, all the trials, all the pain, where it's all made right and returned back to God's original plan for mankind. We have to change our perspective on things. Now, I'm going to take a big broad sweep at a lot of things, depression and anxiety and worry and stress and unrelieved stress and mental illness and suffering. I'm going to just put it all under the category of pain if you don't mind. Let's call it just pain. We have to change how we look at it for ourselves and for others. And we have to get 
honest. We have to, we have to get real and, 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 and an honest view of, of where God is in the midst of all of it and what he's doing. What is he up to in the midst of all of it? And then we have to guard ourselves. What are you talking about? Well, we want to be honest and open and authentic, but there's a few things that we want to avoid in the, in the midst of all that. There, there, there are things that we don't want to do while we're dealing with pain. And here's the challenge as we wrestle through our pain, whatever that may look like, okay? This is the challenge for us. Here's the things we, we don't want to do. First of all, we don't want to become a bitter person. As you're going through all the pain and, and challenges and you're looking at the, the hand that God has, you, God, you dealt me this hand. You don't want to let bitterness destroy you from the inside out because that's what it will do. You don't want to become angry at God. He can handle your anger, but don't let it drift into sin or cause you to walk away from him. I tell my, I tell my boys this all the time, my sons. I say, when you can't see what God is doing or you can't understand it, don't withdraw from him lean into him. Don't run, don't hide. Lean into him like never before. And then here's the other thing. Don't let your heart become hardened towards people. I watch people get older, get, you know, over 50, and all of a sudden they become bitter. Their heart becomes hardened towards people because they're just, they've been bent for so long and they're just like, just this bitter root grows inside. And then don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. There's a word that, that, that is used only a few times in the New Testament, okay? And, and it, it, here's how it's pronounced. It's a Greek word. It's, it's thersite. In John chapter 16, Jesus is telling his disciples that he's getting ready to leave the world. His disciples are confused. They're overwhelmed with grief. They're, there's this deep sense of emotional pain. They're just overwhelmed. And Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, in this world, he says, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have issues. You're going to be struck with things. But take heart, he says, because I've overcome the world. Thersite. He says, take heart. Thersite. Be confident. Take courage. Take heart. Be bold. My, my, my son Taylor, my oldest son Taylor is 23. He has this Greek word tattooed across his chest. All right, now some of you may be wondering, well, what, what, do, you, what do you think about tattoos? Well, we, we actually gave it to him as a graduation gift from college, so just so you know, all right? Um, but every morning, I mean, he's been through a lot of stuff, a lot of broken bones, a lot of setbacks, a lot of disappointments, a lot of discouragement, a lot of, I mean, a lot of moments where he could be bitter, he could lose heart, but every morning when he's getting ready, brushing his teeth, he sees Thersite across his chest. Don't lose heart, don't become bitter. Be confident, be of good cheer. Jesus tells us, He's overcome the world. Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul just gives us this list of painful things that we can expect in this life. And then he says, and despite all these things, and he lists them, he says, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ that loved us. In other words, we are more than conquerors. And without a doubt, I think outside of Jesus and maybe David in the Old Testament, when I think of someone in the Bible that went through a tremendous degree of trials and, and pain and suffering and just was able to handle was able to avoid bitterness and was able to, 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 to do without losing heart and was able to avoid becoming angry at God and angry at others, it was the Apostle Paul. Paul was a man that walked as intimately with God as a person possibly could walk, and yet Here's a guy that went through more trials and pain than anyone could possibly imagine. In the second letter that he wrote to the, to the, the church at Corinth, the second Corinthians, Paul talks about his pain. He talks about his afflictions all throughout the letter. And uh, in Second in Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4, here's what he says. But as servants of God, he says, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions and in hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, just goes on. And then he gets even more specific in chapter 11. Verse 23 starts off by listing all of these things very specifically that he went through. He says, five times, he says, I received the Jews 39 lashes. Three times beaten with rods. He says, once I was stoned, all right, not, 
not drunk. He, he literally had rocks thrown at him until the point where he was almost dead. Three times he was shipwrecked. He spent an entire day and night floating adrift in the ocean. He had been in danger from robbers, from rivers, from his own people, the Jews, from outsiders, haters everywhere. He had been falsely accused. He had been overworked. Many sleepless nights. For those of you that have sleep issues... Paul's your guy. He had starved and gone without water for a long period of time. He had shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep him warm, almost froze to death. Paul knew what it meant to be misunderstood, to be mistreated, to be forgotten about, to be abused and beaten and shipwrecked and starving, put in prison and left for dead. And yet, 2 Corinthians 11.30, here's what he says. He just says, and I'm going to paraphrase it. He says, I refuse to brag on how tough I am in enduring all of this. He says, I refuse to boast about my grit or my courage or my physical or emotional toughness. And instead, he says, if I have to boast, if I have to brag, he says, I will boast of the things that show my weaknesses. Now, honestly, any normal person would look at something like this and ask the obvious question, what, what the heck's wrong with this guy? Who brags about their weaknesses in the midst of this kind of suffering? I mean, was Paul insane? Did all the suffering finally cause him to snap? I mean, did, did, did it all do a number on his ability to think clearly? See, but this is, where, this is where having the right perspective comes into play, okay? Because this was a man who God developed on the molding table of pain and suffering to be the, become the greatest missionary of all time. This was, this was the man that God chose to reach the ends of the earth. We, we, we are here today because of the work of the Apostle Paul. But instead of bragging about how tough he was or how resilient he was to endure all of this suffering, Paul decided to brag about the power of Jesus in his life throughout all the suffering. But think about this for a moment. Think about if Paul were alive today, how the church or, or, or even society might analyze Paul's situation. I mean, if if, if people today were watching this great missionary go through all of this suffering and it would be, you know, much more visible to everybody, they, they might be sending Paul anonymous emails questioning his walk with the Lord. Dude, you need to get your, right, your, your life right with God because you shouldn't be going through all of this. Think, think of all of the, the, the old, uh, the, the, Paul's old Pharisee friends, you know, that he grew up with and did work with throughout the years. I mean, they'd be putting microphones in all front of their faces. Is this, is this guy legit? I remember Paul when he was 10. I remember what he did. I remember Paul when he was 20. I remember what kind of man he was. I remember, he, he's not legit. This guy's just a, he's, he's a poser. Think, think of all of the peanut gallery, the haters and critics on Twitter and Facebook. I mean, they would be questioning his motives, accusing him of being a phony or a man who, who's just trying to make a name for himself. Think about all the theologians and reporters that would be analyzing his life on CNN and even Fox News, questioning whether Paul had some secret sins in his life that was responsible for this kind of suffering. And yet, none of that would be true. Because behind every bit of pain and suffering and every trial that Paul endured, we see the hand of God allowing it to happen. God could have held back. He could have stopped it, but he didn't. And the more it happened, we see God's amazing grace on display in Paul's life. In fact, the more he suffered, the more Paul bragged about the power of God in his life. You don't see any bitterness towards God. You, you, don't, you don't see him being upset at other people. We don't even see him blaming God for all of this. He had friends that deserted him after he received Christ. He was persecuted by the same synagogue leaders who were at one time his cheerleaders, and yet there's no talk of, of retaliation on Paul's part. You say, why? Why? Because there was this intimacy with Christ that Paul had discovered that was greater than his suffering, and it gave him a vision for his life that was greater than his pain. Paul could not get over the fact that Christ reached down and pulled this wicked, sinful, destructive man up out of himself, out of the pit of despair, and forgave his sin and rescued him from the destructive person that he, that he was and gave him new life in Christ. He, Paul just couldn't get over it. Paul was captivated by the power of God's grace. And the more he suffered, the more he discovered that God's grace was more than enough to handle him, more than enough to get him through. 
Matter of fact, the weaker he was physically, the weaker he was emotionally, God's grace gave him the strength to put the power of Christ on display. Listen to, listen to what Paul writes from a jail cell in, in Philippi, chained, okay? He says, Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Yes, right? And we're like, yes, me too. And then he says, I want to suffer with him sharing in his death. Now I want to be honest, I love this verse, but only half of it. I mean, who says this? Who says, I, 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 want, I want to suffer with Christ. As a matter of fact, I, I want to experience his death. But here's a guy that had it all figured out. He knew that the more he suffered for the sake of Christ, the more God was able to use him to put the power of Christ on display to a lost world. That was his drive. That was his vision. That was his purpose, to take the name of Jesus and to make it famous all over the world. This, this was a man who experienced intimacy with Jesus at a whole nother level. You say, how did he do this? How was how, how he able to do this? It, it's just perspective. It's perspective. How can we change our perspective on pain? Because we all go through pain. We all get bent. We all, some of you today, you're just, you're, you're like that stick. I mean, I had it just bent until it bro- almost broke and then it broke. I mean, you're, that, that's me right there, unrelieved stress. I, I mean, how do we do all this without getting mad at God, without getting mad at others, without becoming bitter, without, without our heart getting hardened, without losing heart? First of all, you begin to see pain as your greatest teacher. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul tells us a little bit about how close he was with God. It's interesting. How, how God had given him some special visions. He calls it some insider revelation about Jesus in heaven. If you were reading it, you go, this guy's kind of arrogant. But then he says this in verse 7. To keep me from becoming arrogant and prideful about this special closeness I had with Jesus... God allowed a messenger of Satan to harass me in the form of a thorn. Now, the Greek word for thorn means a sharply pointed stake. God reveals himself to Paul in this amazing vision, some insider stuff, okay? And then he allows him to experience agonizing pain for the rest of his life to keep him humble. Now, there's a lot of speculation about, you know, what, what was this stake, um, what, what was Paul experiencing? Honestly, for the sake of t- today, we, we, really, we really don't know and it really doesn't matter. But Paul calls it a messenger sent from Satan to torment him. The enemy hoped to cause Paul to become bitter, to get angry with God, to, to lose heart and to turn away from God, to push away from him, to withdraw. But, in Paul, but, but instead, Paul saw pain as, as God's great teacher in his life. Paul recognized it as a gift from God to keep him humble, to keep him dependent on God. He, Paul knew who he was. He knew the old man that Paul used to become, and he knew what God was doing in his life to keep him close to Jesus. Now listen, I, don't, don't misunderstand. This thorn was excruciating to Paul. It caused him great pain great. I'm sure it depressed him. It, it caused him suffering. But in verse 8 of chapter 12, he says three times, he says, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. I cried out to God. I, mean, I would be praying the same thing. Matter of fact, I, I have prayed prayers like this. Father, remove this grief. Lord, remove this pain. Lord, remove the pain that my boys are dealing with right now. The setbacks, the grief. I mean, I've prayed things like this over and over, and that's how Paul prayed. And here's how God responded to Paul. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. How do we change our perspective in in the midst of pain? We see it as God's great teacher in life. But we also, here's what we do, we lean into God's grace. Why? Because it's sufficient for your pain. Paul's pleading with God, take this away. God, change the scenario. Remove this thorn. And God says, no. Not just once. Not just twice. He says it three times. And God says instead, he says, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to give you grace, sufficient grace. In other words, Paul, I just want you to know, my grace will be more than enough for you. 
Because not only will you find strength to endure in my grace, but my power will be put on display because of your weakness, because of your affliction, because of your pain. Now, honestly, how many of us could could truly handle an answer like that? I'm not going to heal you. I hear you praying, but I'm not going to. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to use you and I'm going to use your pain to draw people to my son, Jesus. Now, here's what I've learned personally about suffering and pain and trials. It is not always God's will for you to be healed. Okay? God doesn't always relieve the pressure when we're suffering. God's plan for our lives is, is, is not always wonderful from a human standpoint. And the world may be looking at you going, huh, you're a Christian, you shouldn't be going through all that. No, no. God's plan is not always. Because happiness is not God's chief goal for your life. You say, wait, 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 wait a minute, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> wait a minute. That, that's not what I've been taught by my favorite TV preacher. That's not what he's telling me. I know that. But that's the truth. Happiness is not God's goal for your life. Holiness, not happiness. Paul's life is a case study, real life case study for how oftentimes God deals with suffering and pain, how he uses it. God God may not always heal us or relieve the suffering. He may not take the thorns away, but he does promise his grace for all things at all times, every time. And he says it'll be more than enough. My grace will be greater than your loss. It'll be able to help you when you're, when you're in those moments. It'll be greater than your pain. It'll be greater than your thorn, whatever that thorn may be. You're like, God, what are you doing here? What are you, have you ever had, what are you doing here, God? And he explains that he says, God says, because Paul, when you are weak, then I am strong. Then I am strong. We have to change our perspective on what it means to be strong. We think big muscle strong. We think success makes us strong. We, we think it's achievement that makes us strong. Achievement and success, oftentimes, what does that lead to? It leads to being prideful and self-sufficient. It's the painful thorns that make us weak. It's, it's what creates the unrelieved stress. But it's all about perspective. When we're weak... He pours his grace onto us. He, he, he pours it onto us and, and, and he strengthens us, which, which gives us a whole new perspective on life and on suffering and pain and hardships and what God, what he wants to do, the purpose of our lives. See, it's the, it's the suffering and despair and the stress of life that make us dependent upon him, that, 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 that draws us to our knees, which is where he wants us to be. And when we're there, that's where the grace comes and the grace comes through, and that, that's when his strength takes over. I love this quote by Chuck Swindoll. He says, life is not about being comfortable and happy and successful and pain-free. It's about becoming the man or woman God has called you to be. And pain is his great tool. It's his great tool. He talks about it in James chapter 1. How do we find it? How do, you, how do you look at your trials with joy in all circumstances? Because you realize what God's doing in your life. So how do we change our perspective on pain? We see it as a great teacher. We, we lean into his grace. We don't withdraw. We don't run away. We, just, we lean into him, realizing that it's more than enough. And then you look for God's purpose in the pain. You look for God's purpose in your pain. Let's look at Paul's response to God's answer. He says, all right, Lord. You said, you've told me three times, I get the message. If you're not going to heal me, then he says in verse 9, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, that's the complete reverse of how most people have been thinking for so many years. See, when we keep boasting about ourselves and we stay prideful and we keep running in our own power, what happens? We eventually run out. We, we run to the end of ourselves But when we keep boasting about Jesus in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our weaknesses, in the midst of our suffering, Christ comes through every time. We get grace upon grace upon grace. Grace grace comes to the rescue and that's where we find our strength and that's when God leads us to our purpose, to a vision in life that's greater than our pain. 
Now, some of you may be wondering about this branch here. Okay. This old branch. (laughs) It's been through a lot, hasn't it? You know? I mean, some of you see your life in this branch. I mean, you just, man, I'm feeling bent right now. And some of you are looking at it going, no, that's me right there. Pretty much just hanging on by a thread. Broken. This thing needs some duct tape. I need something to help my branch. You know, we, we, look, at, we look at something like this, right? And we, we go, that's unusable. Man, that thing's been through the war. That's like, we need to put that on a shelf, or we need to throw that in the woods, or we need to, we need to throw that one in the fire because it's just all broken and messed up. I mean, it looks like all hope's been lost here, right? This is a waste. This is unusable. All right? But can I tell you something? Only, only the creator can put back what's, what he's created and make it whole again. And, and here's, what Paul, here's what Paul said about himself. He said, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. He said, we're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're, we're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed And then he says, through our suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our body. What does that mean? God specializes in using tattered, torn, broken things for his purposes. He can take it, all of this, and he can give it meaning, and he can give it purpose, and he can give it Put a vision in your life. See, see, when you're at your weakest and you're at this moment, I just want you to know he's at his strongest. And he can take all this and he can make it whole again because he created it. He created you. He's the only one that can do that and make it more usable than ever before. See, he, he's the, all of the unrelieved stress, he, he's in all of it. If your life, if, seriously, if your life is like this, I want you to know that you have more to offer right now than you ever have in your life. But you have to change your perspective. You, you, have to, you, you need to have a vision for your life that is greater than your pain. But that vision, that purpose, hear me, don't miss this, will always involve putting Jesus on display in your life. It will never be about you. That, that, listen, God doesn't waste a second of your pain. God, this is, none of this is wasted, but it's not about you. The question is, what are you going to do about this? Paul says that our suffering is meant to grow us and strengthen us, so that the life of Jesus may be seen in our brokenness. How do you explain all of that and being put back together? How, how do you explain all of that? It's it, Jesus did this. Grace upon grace upon grace. Yep, still bent, still broke. See all the, see all the scars and the wounds and the, and, and, and the heartache. And yeah, I'm chipped and I'm torn. And yep, you could see where all of it's but, but more usable than ever before. And some of you put yourself on a shelf. Mm-mm. You are, you are so usable. You don't, you don't even recognize it. Last week, la- last week we talked about receiving love. Some of you just struggle to receive love because you don't realize how you're loved by a good father. Some, some of you, you struggle to rest in that love, and that's good news, right? Yeah, that, man, I want to re- receive his love, rest in his love. Man, I want to go to sleep at night. I'm going to rest in his love. Now, it's time for you to turn yourself outward. Stop being bitter. Stop being angry at God. Stop running from him. Stop stop letting your heart be hardened. Stop pushing people out of your life. Constantly looking at yourself in the mirror going, unusable, unworthy, broken, tattered, messed up. Can't be, I mean, I'm a waste. No, 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 no. You, you turn yourself, you receive it, you rest in it, but then you share it. You share his love. You take all that you've been through, you put the spotlight on Jesus, and you begin to share his love. You change your perspective. I love this quote, never trust a leader that doesn't walk with a limp. Never trust a leader that doesn't walk with a limp. 
Some of you are relating to this today. You're relating to this. This is your life. Some of you are just bent. I mean, just one stress after the next, after the next, after nothing. You don't know what to do. And you're like, God, what are you doing to me? How could you tell me how much you love me when you're allowing this to go in my life? And God, God says, I'm showing you how much I love you. I'm preparing you for your greatest times, your greatest moments, your most, your most usable moments for your purpose, for the vision I have for you. But it's not about you, it's about Jesus. Change perspective. Change perspective. Grace upon grace upon grace. He, he is, when you are at your weakness, listen, you don't run, you don't hide, you don't, you are at your strongest. You're at your most usable point. Doesn't matter what the world says about you. Doesn't matter what, how the people judge you. Doesn't matter what, what people say that needs to be tossed aside. No, God says, no, no, I've been doing work. You just don't see it. Now let's go. Turn your life outward. Make it about Jesus. Some of you are, are in here, you're older and you're tired. You have more to offer than you ever have in your whole life. And this younger generation needs you like never before. This is how God can take all these trials and heartaches and loss and suffering and turn it into beautiful things that are, but it's all about Jesus. Here's what we're gonna do. Um, last year, you know, we, we put out an album here at our church and one of our, 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 uh, our, our creative arts pastor, Phil Bowdle, when all of this was going on, he, he and his wife, Sarah, had just experienced their third miscarriage. And they were just devastated, just so broken, celebrating. And in his brokenness, Phil sat down at a piano and he wrote a song, just wrote a song that God was putting on his heart and it's, it's on the album. And it is so powerful, written out of brokenness, but seeing Jesus in the midst of the pain. And we're gonna sing it right now. And while we do, we're gonna stand. I just want you to come. For those of you that you're broken, you're bent, you're, you feel like your life's shattered, you, you, you just come and get on your knees and let grace wash over you. Grace upon grace upon grace. Let it flood your life. Let it flood over your loss, your grief, your suffering, your, your illness, your marriage, your children. Can, let, let me just give you a side note. This is free advice. This will not cost you a thing parents look at me for a moment stop rescuing your kids every time they go through a tough time trust God trust God God's doing the same thing in your kids lives that you are we know when to rescue our kids right they're being mistreated we know when to step in but I'm watching parents step in way too often let God work trust him He's doing something awesome. Don't keep stepping in and side, you know, messing up the process. Trust his heart. If you're here today and you're just, you're struggling, you're broken, you're bent, let grace wash over you. Let, let, let your perspective change. So would you stand for just a moment and would you not be ashamed of your hurts, your pain, your struggles, your illnesses, you're suffering. I'm not coming forward there. Everybody's going to know something's wrong with me. There's something wrong with all of us. Okay? You are, this church is led by a broken man. Who's received a lot of grace that I don't deserve. But some of you are just you're, just, you're just bent. You're like, Lord, I need you. Come right now. Get on your knees. Let grace wash over you as we sing this song. Father, would you move in this place? Help us to change our perspective, to see you in the midst of all of it as we bow down before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Broken place within my
my darkest days As my fears arise Lord, I cry out your name The storm of face Bows down to
still got part of our family up here praying up front. You guys take your time. You need to pray right there in your seat. If you need to still come forward, you can do that. Love the words of that song so much. Born out of pain. Some of you that those lyrics, those are those are now your response to the pain you're going through. One little side note, we're so looking forward to meeting Ava Joy Balda when she arrives in two or three weeks. Um, Phil, Phil and Sarah gave her the name Ava. It means life. And that's what Jesus came to give to you. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, and to make you think that you should be tossed away. But the creator of your life came that you might have life to the full. And if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are yet to take hold of life that's truly life. We want to invite you right now to put your faith in the Savior, in Jesus who came and shed his blood and died and rose from the dead for you. Would you just pray right now? The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. So right now in this moment, I'm going to pray a sample prayer. You pray from your heart to God's. Don't wait on me. You go ahead and pray. Just say, dear God, right now I come before you. I don't really even feel like I know how to pray. I didn't feel like I would do this when I came in here today. But God, right now, I feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. And so, God, I make this decision now to give my life to you, to say that I believe that you sent your son, Jesus, to come and to die on the cross for my sins, for all the mistakes, for all the things that I mess up, and to make me whole again. And he rose from the dead that I might take hold of life that's truly life. If that's you today and you put your faith and trust in Jesus in this moment for the very first time, would you do us a favor? Would you allow us to come alongside of you? Allow us to come alongside of you. If you're still thinking about that, I want you to know that that tug in your heart right now is the God of the universe who says, I see you right now. Come to me. If you prayed to receive Christ, you can text the word follow to 77453. If you need it, we've put it up on the screen there. Just text the number 77453 and then the word follow. Oh, Father God, thank you for what you're doing in all of our hearts today. Whether we've been walking with you now for 60 seconds or 60 years, every single one of us in this moment can turn our eyes to Jesus. Every single one of us can look at you now, God, and say, your grace is enough. It's sufficient. Every single one of us now can pray and say, God, give us purpose. Give me purpose greater than my pain. God, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. What a privilege. Give us the heart to pursue you with everything that we've got. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name.